Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Philemon. It is the, in, in your Bibles, Paul's letters are arranged by size. It's the smallest one from Paul, so it's the end of the Pauline epistles. But it wasn't written last. That's what I hope you learned from last week. So let's look at this letter, little letter. It takes less than four minutes to, to read. So let's, let's read it again. I hope you've read it this week. I'm not going to ask you because, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I hope you did. Uh, and uh, so take a look and let's read it together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Great way to greet one another, by the way. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective, effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the heart's of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Wow, you get a build up like that from the Apostle Paul, right? But something's coming, okay? Therefore, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, what is right. Yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless, a play on his, work, on his name, useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Repeat it here again. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you 
as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Oh, a little letter that packs a powerful punch. Well, what is the big message of this little letter? Let's look here. Last week, how the little letter fit into God's big story. We looked at the 13 Pauline epistles. We looked at the ministry epistles, often called prison epistles. Now this week, what's the big message of this little letter? And we're going to look at three aspects. The background, the big idea, and then the breakdown of this little letter. So let, we'll spend most of our time here on the background of the letter. So let's look at it. Background of the letter to Philemon. Uh, now, if you want, it's really mind-blowing how a, such a little letter, takes less than four minutes, can have so much background. So there on your tables, you got the handout. There's at least five reasons why Philemon wrote the letter or why Paul wrote the letter to Philemon. And then on the other side, you've got a map that shows all the cities that we're going to talk about in this background. And it even highlights the area. And so you can see in the highlight of that little map, there's Colossae. And next to it is Laodicea, which will be mentioned today. And then Hierapolis. So these three little cities, but they're way out there. They're not like big Ephesus, which you see in the larger map. And they're not certainly like Rome, way over there in Italy, where Paul is in prison. But there you have, on this side of it, 16 aspects to the back and forth of Colossians and Philemon. There's so many dynamics behind what we read These are letters with real people. And so let's take a look at it. That's all the detail. You can read that on your own. Here's the the big points. First of all, the local church at Colossae. So when when you're reading the letter to Philemon, it's a letter. When he says, greet the church in your home, that's the church at Colossae. Or at least one of those at Colossae. The local church at Colossae. The city of Colossae was a little place, and it was insignificant in the big scheme of things. And the church in Philemon's home was likely to be little too, appearing to be equally insignificant. But God had his people there. So let's look at this church. First of all, it's planted by Epaphras. Epaphras. Not Epaphroditus, the dude mentioned in Philippians, But Epaphras, he's planted. Epaphras, along with Philemon, and later Onesimus even, were led to Christ by Paul. Most likely, this occurred during his three-year ministry at Ephesus on his third missionary journey. So he's staying in Ephesus, and likely Epaphras and, and Philemon, whether together or separate, made their way to Ephesus, which was near, relatively nearby, to do business, most likely, and encountered Paul teaching. And either at the same time or different times, these men were eventually converted under Paul's ministry. So let's read everything that we know about Epaphras. Let's begin with Colossians. So turn back to the uh, letter to the Colossians. Let's look at Colossians 1, 6 through 8. Then we're going to read Colossians 4. 12 through 13, 
And then we'll read again Philemon 23. And that'll get us all the information that we have about this man. And from this that we're going to read is where I'm deriving what I'm going to be teaching you. It's from these little insights. So Colossians 1, 6 through 8. Paul is writing. He's talking about the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. So how did they learn the gospel that is bearing fruit in them? Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras. And this word for learn there is related to the Greek word mathetes, Disciple making. Go make mathete, go make disciples. He's saying, look, just as you learned it through disciple making from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. He also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So that's our first introduction. Let's look at the end of Colossians 4, 12 through 13. 4, 12 through 13. Here's what, how he ends. Epaphras, who is one of your number. So he's from Colossae, and he's a member of the Colossian church. A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, also laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He's a prayer warrior. That you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has deep, concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So again, if you go back to your map that I gave you, you'll see that those three cities are neighboring cities. And more than likely, Epaphras, after being led to Christ in Ephesus, returns to his hometown of Colossae, begins evangelizing, and likely evangelized the two nearby cities. Therefore, he has a deep concern for the churches there. Then we come back to Philemon 23. He ends Philemon 23 with these words, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. And so what we learned last week was I I, I tend to lean that Epaphras is not literally in chains, but he has been sent back to minister to Paul who is literally in chains chains. So that's all we know. So this is in your notes. I didn't have you do blanks on this because we're just, so here's what we know from this. One, Epaphras was a resident of Colossae who went back, proclaimed the gospel to his people and planted a church there. And not only likely there, but likely in Hierapolis and Laodicea. Second thing we learned, Epaphras multiplied himself. Now, this is what's cool when you you say, oh, why are we doing all this background? Because the background puts meat on the bones. It fleshes out the reality of what's happening. So look at this. He multiplied himself. So originally, Paul converts, evangelized, and he's converted in Ephesus, sends him back to his hometown. He evangelizes, he disciples, and he's so 
establishes people in maturity in ministry that they then send him back now to Rome to minister to Paul. Isn't that cool? So that's the, that's the depth of his ministry, and that's true discipleship. Uh, Paul's letters, last week, Paul's letters are grouped around maturity, ministry, and multiplication. I won't rehash that. Go listen to last week's lesson. But I want you to see this was lived out in the life of Epaphras. Now, how was Epaphras able to multiply himself? What was the secret? Was there a formula? What was going on? Well, here's the third point. Epaphras was established in the four goals of discipleship and the ministry epistles. So remember, this is why we did last week, because it has bearing on this week. And it fleshes out this little letter. Four ministry epistles that Paul wrote in prison. Colossians focuses on, do you have a growing relationship with Christ? Two... Philemon, fellowship with other believers. You'll learn that. Three, Ephesians, outstanding membership in the local church. Four, Philippians, wholehearted partnership in the work of the ministry. So you grow relationship, fellowship, membership, and partnership in the ministry. This is who Epaphras was. You say, how do you know that, Chris? Look at the way Paul describes him. I would challenge you. Anytime that Paul describes one of his co-workers, look at the names he uses and trace them in all of his letters. And more times than not, the descriptions of them will reflect that they have a growing relationship, they have real fellowship, they have outstanding membership, and they are wholehearted in the partnership. Let's just look at some of them I have listed for you there. In Colossians 1.7, our beloved, stop right there, beloved, beloved. Anytime you see beloved, think two directions. Beloved by the electing love of God and beloved by God's elect people. That is a relationship with the Lord. Then notice how many times Paul uses fellow, a fellow bond servant, a fellow prisoner, growing fellowship. They have fellowship together, and their fellowship is not just in their relationship, but it's also in the work of the ministry. And then Colossians 4.12, and I, I left this out of, in this description, but I, it needs to be included, so for, forgive me for the omission. One of your number Colossians 4.12. One of your number. That means more than he's from Colossae. It means he's part of the membership of the church. And notice he says one of your number. How do you know how many are in the church? You got to count them. How do you count them? That's how you know through membership. Through membership. One of your number. You're either in or you're out. You're either a member or you're not a member. Membership has fallen on hard times in the American church. Many churches don't even talk about it. Uh, and so when, when, I, when I'm interacting with young people that are going to, uh, you know, moving and visiting other churches, hey, ask them about membership. 
You need to become a member, one of the number. And then finally, look at all the names for ministry. Bond servant, faithful servant, bond slave, fellow prisoner. And then Colossians 4, 12 through 13. If you don't think this guy's mature uh, as a member in the work of the ministry, this guy is a prayer warrior. And he's praying for people halfway across the globe like we do every week, right? He agonized in prayer, not just once a week when he was at church, but throughout his life, wherever he was. So that's Epaphras. Second thing I want you to see about the church at Colossae is it not only was planted by Epaphras, but it gathered in the home of Philemon and his wife of Phia. Okay, and I have perhaps, so do circle that. Uh, So here's what we know about Philemon. So let's put together from the letter to Philemon, what do we know about him? First of all, Philemon's, uh, and uh, let me say this, the way we know the church gathered is Philemon 2. Again, remember, and to the church in your house. Okay, so the church gathered in his house. First thing, Philemon's conversion was likely through Paul during his Ephesian ministry. That's why you get that little kind of aside to him. Hey, I hope you do this for Onesimus. Um, Excuse me, you also owe me your very life. Likely he led him to the Lord. Now, if he didn't, then who probably did lead him to the Lord? If it wasn't Paul, what person related to Paul might have done it? Who do we just meet? Epaphras, right? So maybe Paul didn't encounter Philemon in Ephesus on business, because remember, Paul's never been to Colossae. But maybe when he led Epaphras and Epaphras went back, maybe Epaphras led Philemon to the Lord, which would make Philemon what to Paul? A spiritual grandson. You got it. Okay, and so Paul just showed me his third and latest grandson. Let me tell you, I for a minute there, I thought Paul had a baby this morning because that's how grand people talk. Right. That's or at least that's what I hear. Right, Gwen? That's how they talk. Okay, so here's the story. Whether it was Paul or Epaphras, the point is you owe me your spiritual life either way. Secondly, let's consider Philemon's wealth. His wealth enabled him to own a house large enough for the church to meet and owned at least one household slave, the slave by the name of, and what's his name? Onesimus, Onesimus. So this is a a sign of his wealth. It was large enough for the church to meet in. Now, uh, as we have our grow groups, you know, you know the pressure and the and the tightness of homes, and 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 it's it's it's. I always chuckle as I try to organize this because you know here in America we have big homes. Let me tell you, you know, uh, you go around the world, we have big homes, but they had even bigger homes. Okay, so when a church met in a home, it could hold as many as fifty people. So don't think of your grow group. 10 or so, you could be that large. Now, granted, he's in Colossae. It's a smaller city. Maybe he had a smaller home. But he was wealthy enough to have that kind of home. 
And he opened his heart because he's, a, uh, he's been born again. And he's being established in these goals. So he wants to have fellowship. He opens his heart in his home. So let me just stop right there and say, any of you that are in this room who host a group, we say a heartfelt thank you. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. And any of you that stay in a group and visit a host home, never leave that home without looking that host or hostess in the eye saying, thank you. Thank you for opening your home. It is a great gift to the church and it builds fellowship. It's a beautiful thing. So perhaps... Epaphras and Philemon might have been business partners, pure speculation. They were possibly in Ephesus on business. When they meet Paul, who's freely teaching the gospel, he's not in jail in Ephesus. He's in a a rented building, and he's teaching the gospel. Either way, Epaphras proclaimed the gospel, and Philemon provided the house for the church. So Epaphras is preaching and proclaiming and he, and Philemon is providing the house for the church. So that's his conversion, his wealth. Let's talk about his fa- family. Philemon's family may include Aphia and Archippus, okay? Now, look at verse 2 in Philemon. Let's see why we're, why this is a possibility. He greets them, in verse 2, he greets Philemon, then and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow fellow soldier. Then he returns and says, and to the church in your house, Philemon, you. So he begins with Philemon, he ends with Philemon, the church meeting in the house. And in between, you got these two individuals that are connected, and, and. These two people, who are they? Well, Philemon's name, and you might have picked up on this, means affectionate one. Philemon, Greek phileo, right? Brotherly love. Isn't it interesting that in a letter on fellowship, the man's name is Philemon. He is an affectionate one. He lived up to his name. Aphia doesn't, is, is more of a local term of endearment. Aphia. And then Archippus uh, kind of lives up to its sound, if I'm even pronouncing it correctly. And it means horse master. Okay, and you say, horse master? What is he, a cowboy? No, that's a military term. Uh, It it, it spoke of the military and war horses. And so these are these three individuals. Now, even though the church met in Philemon's home is greeted, the church is greeted, the three people mentioned by name probably represent a family. So here's what you probably have going on. We don't know for sure. And there's some... You could argue against this, but I lean towards it. Philemon, his wife, Aphia, their son, Archippus, and then you have this runaway household slave, Onesimus. So you have a home with these individuals in it that then welcomes the church into that home. So you have this overlap of family, and physical family, and spiritual family. Now, whether they're married and this is their son, we can't be sure. But because of the bookend, 
I greet you, Philemon. Then I greet the house in your home. And then these two individuals in between, I think it's likely that they're a family. If that's the case, here's a third speculation. And I always, usually, you know, I always want to make clear when I'm speculating. Okay, so here's the third one. Pastored by Archippus, the son of Philemon and Aphia. I got a question mark there. Okay, so this isn't, this isn't clearly laid out. You say, then why speculate? Well, usually I'm against speculation because most people preach and teach speculation like it's scripture. Okay, watch out for those people. I am clearly differentiating when I am speculating. But here's what uh, a couple reasons, okay, why I think he may have been one of the leading pastors. Two things. First of all, Paul describes Archippus as a fellow soldier, okay? He says, I greet Archippus, my fellow soldier. This could have been a play on his name. Greet the horse master. He's a spiritual warrior, okay? And whenever Paul uses this term fellow soldier, he only uses it one other time, and it's for Epaphroditus in Philemon. And these two men were likely leading men leading men who, who were highly committed in the church. It's the idea of highly committed leadership and ministry for the local church. And both Epaphroditus, well, Epaphroditus was even sent to represent the church at Philippi. Such men were willing to suffer hardship with Paul as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Timothy mentions this. They approached ministry with a soldier's mindset, knowing, as Timothy was taught, no soldier entangles themselves in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So this guy's highly committed. He's, he, 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 he's apparently a leader. I think he's one of the leading pastors, if not the pastor of this church, household church. Secondly, Paul challenges Archippus to fulfill his ministry. He doesn't say that to Aphia. He doesn't say it to Philemon. He says it to Archippus. And he says it at the end of the letter to the Colossians. Remember, these two letters are sent at the same time, Colossians, Philemon, to the same place. Okay? And so as they're reading the letter to the church at Colossae that meets in the home of Philemon, Paul ends Colossians with these words. Okay, Colossians 4.12, he says, And say to Archippus, as a church, you know, so, so think about it. This letter's being read, okay? And say to Archippus, and when I, listen, when I mention anyone's name in this class as an illustration, you know what every head does? What does every head do? Gwen, what does every head do? Right now. Every, see? Dana, right there. They look at whoever I'm mentioning. So you're sitting in Philemon's home, and, and the letter is being read by probably Tychius, who sent the letter. And, and, he, and he says, and say to Archippus, and everybody looks at wherever Archippus is, 
Who knows? Maybe Archippus, as the pastor is reading the letter. Oh, gosh, here I comes. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I think these two, this description and this challenge points to the fact that he probably was the leading pastor of this church. Now, here's what I want you to see. Step back a moment. Some of this is speculation, but what can't be denied, is in the church, Archippus, they're all in this church. But if this scenario, and many uh, students of the scriptures think it is, you got Philemon and Aphia not only opened their home, but they provided their son as the pastor. So here you got this household unit hosting the church, and yet their household slave, which everybody who was unsaved, and everybody knew because he's, they're in his, their home every Sunday, he runs away and probably steals money. And Philemon is ticked. And yet his son is the pastor. And now Philemon is being read. The letter to Philemon comes to him. And the letter is not just to Philemon because he says, I greet the church. And so Paul's saying, hey, Philemon, I got a little word for you. I greet you. I greet your wife, your son, the pastor. And by the way, I've sent back your runaway slave. He's born again. Now, what are you going to do with that? I mean, you talk about accountability. The ministry of the home and the ministry of the church bleeds over. And that's a good thing because it makes us accountable. Are you with me? This might be, this might be the reason Paul says, fulfill your ministry. Because guess what, Archippus? You may have to discipline your own dad in his own home if he refuses to have fellowship with his born-again runaway slave. I don't know about you, but I just get, that is just the coolest thing. It's taking the Bible from black and white and putting it in living color right where you live. All right? I mean, surely home life and ministry life, if you host a home, and I won't, don't show your hand, you ever, ho- you ever had an argument for the group before the group came? Or driving to group, have you ever had an argument? Gwen, has that ever happened to us? Yeah, it's happened. But it was always my fault, right? Yeah, it was always my fault. Oh, yeah, it happens. Oh, hi, everybody. Let's pray. Good to have you here at the group. Okay. This is ministry. This is real life. And it's happening for us. Now, we've seen the background to the local church. Let's look at the family conflict. Okay. Let's look at the, and I've kind of already set that up for you. The family conflict between Philemon and his household slave. So here's the three people that are involved in this conflict. Okay. As well as the church and his family that are observing. Number one, Onesimus the runaway. Okay, so you have Onesimus the runaway, slave. He has been redeemed in Rome. He has repented. He needs to return, and he needs to be reconciled with his master, who is now his brother, 
in Christ. He likely ran all the way to Rome. Now, if you look on the map, that's a long ways. You know why? Because if he runs close, people are moving a lot back then. He could be found. So he loses himself in the masses of slaves, and many of whom were also running away. And in God's divine providence, he encounters God's man, and he's led to Christ. How did God providentially lead you? to people to share. My providential happened in the school library at Oak Park High School. Where did God providentially lead you? The second person that we see is Philemon the Refresher. So you got Onesimus the Runaway. He's coming back. You got Philemon the Refresher. And this is what's cool about Philemon. His name means brotherly affection. Okay. And the guy's known... For loving people. But have you ever learned that sometimes it's easier to love people at church than in your own home? That don't, don't say anything. Have you ever? Are you with me? Man, they're so loving. But what about at home? He's a refresher. Paul has great confidence that he's going to receive him. But this guy did him wrong. You know, really, our test of forgiveness, our test of fellowship is when we're wronged. And, and, and when we make excuses for why we can't forgive, we're going down the wrong path. And we're not refreshing hearts. And when we say, I can forgive everything but her. I can forgive anyone but him. We're going down the wrong path. Now, we're going to talk about the need for repentance. We're going to talk how, you know, how to do this in the weeks to come. I just want you to see who these people are. The third person in this scenario is Paul the Reconciler. Paul the Reconciler. Oh, and I, I should have said this. He needs to forgive Onesimus and receive him as a brother, not merely a slave. Now you got Paul. Paul's willing to make restitution. He's willing to pay the debt that Onesimus owes. And he's willing, he wants them, and he wants to be refreshed by these guys' reconciliation. Isn't it sweet when fellowship is sweet? It refreshes the heart. And furthermore... He not only wants all this to happen, but he wants to receive Onesimus back because Onesimus was so useful to him in the ministry. And so Paul is really a picture of Christ in this letter. We read last week how the dynamics of justification, substitution, reconciliation are all found in this letter. They're embodied in the person of Paul. And they will be made real and embodied in Philemon as he applies them, not in an abstract way by filling out notes on Sunday, but in a real way as receiving back someone who had wronged him, who has repented and who is returning at the risk of his very life. Philemon, as we will see in the weeks to come, had the right to kill him. 
You say, yeah, but he's a Christian. He wouldn't do that. You haven't hung around too many Christians, have you? He doesn't know. There's no guarantees here. What a picture. What a picture. If Paul's two converts, here's his hope. If Paul's two converts would break through, break through to real fellowship, it would refresh his heart, it would refresh their hearts, and the hearts of the entire church. Why? Because the church meets in his home. Why? Because it could have been pastored by a son. Why? Because his wife would have been right there. Who knows? Maybe Onesimus did a fee wrong. We don't know. We don't know. But the dynamics are there. Let me read this quote to you that captures this. Because uh, let's go back. I'll go back to the, the three of them up there. With, the, with that up there, I want you to think. An ex-Jewish rabbi to whom all Gentiles were once untouchable, a wealthy Gentile householder to whom an itinerant Jewish preacher in a Roman prison would normally be an object of contempt, and to whom a runaway thieving slave was a dangerous animal to be beaten or put to death, and then a rootless runaway slave without hope of human sympathy or even human justice, in all conscience, humanly speaking, this is an impossible trio if it wasn't for Christ. Are you with me? Now, you look around this room, and I mean look around. This is an impossible class. Can you imagine just going out to all of us before we were saved? Hey, we're all going to gather every week. We're going to love on each other. We're going to worship together. We're going to figure, he's like, you're crazy. I don't like them. I don't look like them. Uh, we have nothing. Think of, look around. We hardly have anything in common. We have one thing in common. And what is that? Christ. Christ. Man, is that not great? The quote goes on. Yet all three were cut, caught up through their common allegiance to Christ into an entirely new relationship where each acknowledges the other as one of God's adopted sons and a brother for whom Christ died. Isn't that amazing? But we're not there yet. Why? Why? Because we don't know what Philemon's going to do. And that's why Paul wrote the letter. So let's... There's the background. I hope you see the benefit of it. Secondly, the big idea of the letter. If you haven't grasped it yet, here's the big idea. The big idea of the letter to Philemon is this. Real fellowship in Christ breaks through the barriers (coughs) to refreshing relationships with one another. There's the idea. What's the one thing the whole thing is about? Real fellowship. That's why Paul begins by praying, I pray that your fellowship will be effective. That's real fellowship. What's he saying about the one thing? Real fellowship in Christ breaks through barriers to refreshing relationships 
with one another. That's why in this little letter, Paul begins, You have refreshed hearts. I send you my heart in the person of Onesimus. Now refresh my heart. Isn't it beautiful? What a beautiful little letter. That brings us then to the breakdown of the letter. The breakdown of the letter. There's structure even in a little letter. And here you have. It begins with Paul's greeting to Philemon, but he throws in the church and he throws in other people. So even though the letter is to Philemon, the issue is personal but it's not private. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Then he starts with prayer. If you know anything about Paul, and we've already seen Epaphras, these men, and I would add the women, they don't do ministry apart from prayer. In fact, they don't start ministry. In fact, prayer is the the ministry. And so he prays, Because, you know, the only thing that reconciles people is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You can't force it. So he prays a greeting. He prays for Philemon to experience real fellowship and refreshment. He wants, you've refreshed others. Now, I want you to be refreshed. Then in the middle, okay, there's this chiasm. Right there in the middle is a plea for Onesimus to receive real forgiveness and reconciliation from Philemon. And then he sandwiches this between his prayer and a promise, a promise by Paul that will encourage real followers of Christ to do what he's saying and will bring real spiritual refreshment. And then he ends a farewell to Philemon and the church. One of the hard things, you say, how do you know that? One of the hard things about doing uh, Bible study in the English language, well, at least in any version other than the King James, is because in Old English, you had you and ye. Ye was plural for you, singular. Well, in modern English, you, you never know, is it a single or is it a plural? Okay? So... You know, you kind of need a southern translation of the Bible to help you out. So you do this and you all <laughs> do this, meaning more than than one. Y'all, y'all there. I'm sorry. I, 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 I educated in the south, live in the Midwest. So y'all, I used to have it down when I left Texas and Virginia. So here's what's interesting about the ending of Philemon. It sounds like he's talking only to Philemon, but several times he throws in a y'all. Well, how would they know what he was saying to them if it wasn't read to the church? So there's your breakdown of farewell. So personal issue, but it's not private. It affect, Listen, a lack of reconciliation affects your family life and your church life. And then it's bracketed with accountability from the local church, which for poor Philemon, it met in his home. (laughs) Okay, And perhaps his son pastored the church. Well, what's what's the takeaway from this, Chris? Well, here's the idea. Colossae was a little place 
And in many respects, Philemon, his wife, his son, the church in their home, a runaway slave, these were little people in the big scheme of the Roman Empire around A.D. 61. In the big scheme of things, Onesimus was one of a million slaves and not the first to run away. Philemon, a successful businessman, more than likely a wealthy man, but had he was from a little city and he had a little church that met in his home. So what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. In God's big story, there are no little people or little places. Let me say it again. In God's big story, there are no little people or little places. If you've never read a little booklet, a little talk by a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer, he, he's, a, he's really a modern-day prophet and apologist who's now in heaven. Had the privilege of hearing him speak live in chapel at Liberty University. Never forget that. But he has a little book. He has a five-volume set of all his works. Anything he writes is worth thinking through. And he writes on everything, art and the Bible, spiritual things, everything. But he has a little book called No Little People. And here's what he says in it. As Christians consider the possibility of being the Christian glorified, and he means by that being spiritual, often his reaction is this, and I think you could relate. I'm so limited. Surely it doesn't matter much whether I'm walking as a creature glorified or not. Or to put it another way, it's wonderful to be a Christian, but I'm such a small person, so limited in talents or energy or psychological strength or knowledge. What I do is not really important. And Schaefer writes, the Bible has a quite different emphasis. With God, there are no little people. And then he says this, and I believe I have it there in your notes. The scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in a, the true spiritual sense. And man, in a celebrity culture, Christian culture we live in, we need to be reminded of this. But only consecrated and unconsecrated people. The problem for each of us is applying this to ourselves. But if a Christian is consecrated, does this mean he will be in a big place instead of a little place? The answer, the next step, is very important. As there were no little people in God's sight, so there are no little places. To be wholly committed to God in the place where God wants him, this is the creature glorified. And then he says, the size of the place is not important but the consecration in that place. We must remember that throughout our lives, that in God's sight, there are no little people and no little places. Only one thing is important, to be consecrated person, persons in God's place for us at each moment. Those who think of themselves as little people in little places, if committed to Christ and living under His Lordship, in the whole of life, may, by God's grace, change the flow of our generation. And that's true of you. And you, and you, 
and you and you and me and us. There's no little people. There's no little places. The question this morning is, are you consecrated? Have you been established in a growing relationship, in real fellowship, in outstanding membership? Are you active in the wholehearted partnership? And is there anything preventing you from reconciling with those who have truly repented and those who have asked for your forgiveness? And if they never repent, and we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, and if they never ask, are you having a repented, forgiving attitude towards them? That's how our hearts are refreshed. And that, I hope, we will experience in the weeks to come. Little letter, big message for no little people in no little place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of, of this little letter. There's so, there's so much here. If we'll just take the time to dig into it, and more importantly, let it dig into our hearts. I pray for each person here. I don't know where they are deeply. I don't, I, I don't know what secretly, silently is going on. But I trust your spirit and your word that pierces deep within. That you would revive, you would reconcile, and you would refresh in the weeks to come, beginning today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask this for your glory and for our refreshment. Amen. Amen. Good stuff.